start. Sooners of Oklahoma, 12-0, and still looking for respect nationwide. What is going on, Sooner Nation? Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Barry and Mac Show. As always, myself, Barry, personal trainer, sports performance coach out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And alongside me, former Sooner wide receiver, 2000 national champ, Mr. Damian Mackey. How are we doing today, D-Mac? What's going on, B? Doing well. Uh, man, you know, I, I think the theme for today is going to be win in advance. Um, find a way to win games that you're supposed to win. Uh, it always feels good to get an ugly win versus uh, an L. So, obviously, we're going to be diving into the game, discussing some of the things that went well, some things that need to improve, and some things that are still consistently ugly. I just feel good about... You know what I remember, Barry? I remember these... Uh, podcast last year and we were trying to find silver linings and trying to find you know what I'm saying the feel good stories after catching L's it feels good to be back on the side of we're critiquing a team that's finding ways to win and uh, you know still in contention for some of the bigger things that happened in December and January yeah it was an interesting game and an interesting week of uh college football to be honest with you with uh, some of the other games out there and for those who have followed us on twitter over on instagram make sure to go follow us at barry and mac shw on twitter follow dmac at d underscore mac 13 and follow me at bwise fitness at letter b w i s e fitness and i've already started posting things about yesterday's game dmac um, it was a struggle for the Sooners, but it was a struggle for all of college football, right? Oregon had a bit of a test with Washington State. Texas, everybody saw that one go down to the wire with Houston. Um, I think Houston was a bad spot short of possibly beating the Longhorns. You had North Carolina get upset by Virginia as my dark horse. They were just a year late. And you got Washington squeaking it out over Arizona State. So, So you had Washington not cover the spread. You had Texas not cover the spread, Oregon, and of course, the Sooners, who we're going to talk about today. But first, DMAC, just your overall opinion. These are all good teams. We just saw Washington and Oregon play an incredibly emotional game where Washington comes out on top, but both both teams really played good football. Same thing with OU and Texas. You watch that game and you say, these guys are the cream of the crop. I asked Reggie Pearson Jr., who was on our podcast last week, I said, how do you fight against some complacency that might build in when you're you're playing a team like Texas? It's real hyped up. And then the next week, you have a team like UCF who comes into town, who, by the way, I said this, they've got players. All of those teams in Florida, if they just bare minimum recruit the state, they are going to have dudes. And I don't care what people said. UCF had some guys, number two on the line of scrimmage, uh, Baker playing receiver, Townsend at receiver. People forgot that Plumlee was a baller, right? He may have influenced Dylan Gabriel coming back to UCF or not. He he could really play. So just thoughts, D-Mac, overall on, on college football and these teams that are in the top 10 just trying to hold it down week to week. 
Yeah, I want to bring up another team that also I think was in that same category, which is Florida State. Uh, if Duke's quarterback doesn't get hurt, if Leonard doesn't get hurt, that game is, I want to say Duke is up when he gets hurt. And then, of course, the, the backup comes in and can't throw the ball. Another game, right, of a top-tier team who struggled. And Duke's a good team. Uh, but a lot of a lot of uh, you know close calls on Saturday. Um, I'll say this. Again, I can't emphasize enough how good it feels doing this pod with you today knowing um that we got the dub and there's a lot of good things to discuss uh but man this is a season that is ripe for the taking and i know you and i aren't you know the absolute you know football gurus of the world but i i feel like there are a few tweaks that are right in front of us that if we just do some things on the field, there's a few positions where if we look in a different direction, I think they can have a huge impact and correct a lot of our errors and take us closer to where we want to be. Um, I look at Texas. I think Texas slept walk a little bit. Matter of fact, Texas really, that game, man, that kid got the first down on third and short. He was he on did. the nine-yard line, and they spotted yeah. him at the nine-and-a-half, which was unfortunate. And, of course, I don't understand why you would ever do a rollout pass on fourth and four inches. You know, I, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I agree with that game plan. Um, Oregon, I feel like Oregon played a game that they can feel good about. Washington State kept it close, but when it mattered, Oregon bowed their chest and pretty much dominated the second half and especially the fourth quarter. Um you know, you you USC unfortunately found a way to lose again. Man, the 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 uh, luster of Caleb Williams has really, really started to dissipate. And how about you know, Link? I don't even feel good talking crap about USC anymore. I mean, Lincoln Riley has literally gone from Wonder Boy to man. I'm starting to wonder, boy, if he's going to keep his job for the next couple of years or if he's going to jump ship. So that that whole thing has has turned on a new face. Um, so, this is a perfect year uh georgia is an amazing tennessee and alabama both have their warts and their flaws this is a year um it, it's it's again it's starting to have that magic that says just keep winning it's why i didn't have a lot of negative things to say we found a way to win and one i'm excited about doing that but two i'm looking at our opponents and, and michigan again killed michigan state but we still don't know michigan state lost their coach two weeks ago you know their 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 whole programs in shambles they're in transition so we don't really know what that means ohio state penn state gosh they were they literally took us back to the to the 2000s with three yards and a cloud of dust right Right? What is it? Fourteen, twelve, or something? Twenty-one, oh twelve, gosh, or something? Yeah. Twenty twelve was the final. Yeah, but it, it, it could have been lower than that. <laughs> so I, I look at the landscape, and I have a quiet sense of confidence that uh, we, we just need to control what we can control. We need to win the games on Saturday. We've got a, a big game coming up Saturday. KU is going to test us in a lot of ways uh, offensively and what are our defense with their offense. And I just feel like it's a game that um, if we take this game for granted, this is a game we could lose, especially looking at what happened this yesterday. It's a game that our guys need to be prepared for. Um, and, and going across the landscape, looking at college football, it's a game that if we win, 
we win this game. We've got OSU calendar. We've got BYU and Provo, which is going to be a cold weather game, we assume. But man, our schedule is really, really, really uh, one that I think we can take advantage of. So looking at college football, it just confirms what we've been saying, I think, the last three or four weeks, which this is a season where the national champion, I, I think it's it's more of an unknown than any time during the Bama dynasty. And then I would say the last three years has kind of been the Georgia dynasty. And then, of course, LSU just kind of had their years where they've you know, popped up and been ultra dominant. This is a year where you can sneak in and just keep winning and stay healthy and let the chips fall where they may. I, I'm completely in agreement, D-Mac. And uh, Georgia had a lot of turnover. I had forgotten that they uh, their OC left in the offseason. Of course, everybody knew that they lost Stetson Bennett. And Michigan, as well as they've played, I took a look at it last night, they have yet to play a top 50 offense. And, and OU so far this season, seven games, they've played three teams in the top 50. And one of the teams yesterday was the top rushing offense in all of college football. And we're going to talk about that. Um, let, let's go defensive side. We, we went offensive last time, I believe. Let's go defensive side of the ball with this one. So OU allows, allows 189 yards on the ground. Uh, they give up 248 through the air, air but Plumlee was 16 of 30. Uh, didn't throw any picks. This was the first game this year that OU did not force a turnover. So, of course... I'm sure that was UCF's game plan of, of we're going to play safe. We're going to try and keep the ball out of the, the positions of the field where turnovers are likely and that their game was was pretty conservative to some degree. I, I think they were trying to take the air out of the ball a little bit. Uh, they were trying to out physical Oklahoma, particularly in the run game. But UCF. Uh, particularly on the ground game, got a large chunk of those yards on really two plays. Outside yeah. of that, OU held them to two point you. So you take the two, what were really, I won't call them busts because I believe one of them was where Kanick just has poor technique with how he's addressing the guard um, in that run fit. But uh, you take out those two plays, OU gives up 2.4 yards per carry to one of the better rushing attacks in college football. Some would call it the best. So starting up front, OU had seven quarterback hurries, which uh, again, at the beginning of the season, we said the D-line, DNs need to play well. I graded them pretty high on 360. I believe I put both of them in the B range, maybe high C on one. But I, I think they played a B, B-minus game. Uh, and you could argue player to player. Some, some guys really showed up. Ethan Downs continues to be a player that impresses week to week. He has gotten so much more explosive, so much better with his hands. It seems like Coach Chavis, Coach Bates have really been able to work with him. And, and he's improved. He's turned into a player. Uh, guys like PJ were a little quiet. I will say, lurking in the wings, DMAC. First week where I really said, ooh, he's got some explosiveness back, and that was our Mason Thomas. He also had a few errors <laughs> in the run game, but, man, he is starting to show a little bit of burst. Uh, let's go defensive line as a whole. Uh, you, of course, we always tend to break them down edge guys versus interior, but watching the game, what did you think of how they performed? Yeah, you look at the defensive line and they've gone from, remember at the beginning of the year, we had a lot of concerns about what those guys were bringing to the table uh, to their strength. 
the defensive line is bar none flat out those guys are balling um and and it's beautiful because they're playing fickle first things first you brought up um you brought up UCF's ability to run the ball. I had no idea they were the number one rushing offense. I knew they were top uh, top ten. I, th- I thought they were nine or so. Maybe I was looking at old numbers, but they run that mesh, that quarterback running back mesh, where they're kind of both holding the ball for a second or two, and the quarterback's reading the end if he's crashing down. The quarterback's reading the backers if they're stepping up because they're going to set you up to do action off of it. And our D line was literally consistently pushing the offensive line a yard into the backfield, which muddied that that mesh. And and I mean, I think we had 13 TFLs. And most of the TFLs, if you go back and watch the film, they're on that mesh play. Right? I think we got like four or five the first, literally the first three possessions of the game. We literally had like four or five or six TFLs. Yeah, Trace Ford but has man, one where he meets him in the backfield. Oh, bro. He absolutely dominates. Well, the, the D-line dominates and then he tackles both guys. I remember that um, very vividly. In my opinion, and and I'm not a D-line expert, but I thought the D-line was excellent. I, I truly thought they were excellent. And you got to use relativity, right? You can't look at it in a vacuum. You've got to look at it versus the opponent, what they typically do. And like you said, what happens is there's two plays. There's really three plays. There's three plays where like 70% of their production happens. It's an, it's two end arounds and uh, the one mesh where the DN comes too far upfield and Canik basically just gives himself up instead of wanting to scrape. If Canik even scrapes, it gives everybody else time because he flattens out the running back. He doesn't scrape. Running back darts straight through the hole and he goes for 57 yards. And that's when they really got momentum. D-line's excellent as far as I'm concerned. They got sacks. They were consistently making the quarterback throw the ball away. They got intentional groundings. And and again, we're going to talk about the backers, and and I'll just say this now, Barry. uh, Go watch the game. It's the most I've ever seen. I don't know that I can say ever. It's the most BV has run run blitzes with his backers all season, and it's probably three times as much as he's done that I've seen him do. And we'll do, I, I'll discuss with you why when we talk about the backers. But you go watch Stunts and 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 uh, Kanik, they're run, they're run blitzing, I'd say 75% of the snaps. And, and I'll tell you why I think that happens when we get to them. But um, Bothroyd has a great game as, aside from when they run the end around. Did you see when they run the end around and he's literally looking the other direction and they're running it around his back? Did you see that play? Oh, yeah. That they also there was also a screen pass, man, where he just gets totally, totally turned around. Uh okay, yeah, okay. So maybe it's two, but they're may is it the screen then? Nah, this is the end around. They're running nah, it. I know the, the you're t- yeah, the end around the, the screen plays a whole <laughs> different one. That was a um it was a call that they had on, but he totally loses track of where he is on the field. Yes. Yeah, so I, I obviously got to gotta penalize him there. But Bothroy plays well on the edge. Uh, Terry, Terry is taking on the role as the best defensive tackle, as, as most disruptive defensive tackle. Cole made some great plays on, on the inside. By the way, Kelly has some solid plays on the inside. Leilao is smart. We've always talked about how he's a little light, but he's really smart. He snuffs out a screen that they try to run. Um, Downs. Downs played like a man on possessed, has some great plays. Uh, but I, you all, you, I, I was hoping you wouldn't bring him up because I noticed it as well. Uh, R. Mason Thomas had had a great. I mean, he looks better. By the way, he looks thick. He looks the part. Um, and you're right, the explosion is coming back. 
Uh, he runs down the quarterback and doesn't get a sack for it. I think he catches him at right at about the line of scrimmage where he has to, he's coming off the edge. The quarterback leaks out the right side and he has to stick his foot in the ground, turn his hip and running will get him. And he picks a spot like a yard past the line of scrimmage and meets him there. That's hard to do. And Plummy's a guy who can run pretty good. I thought the D line was excellent. I'm not going to give him a grade like A, B, C, D, or F. They are trending in a way where we can compete with anybody. We don't have that outside guy who's just going to make defenses or offenses change their protection, right? But we've got enough uh, outside guys who can win occasionally. And then we also don't have that inside guy, same thing, who's just going to be a consistent Tommy Harris or, you know, Gerald McCoy, who's just going to consistently win. But we've got dudes in those positions now. We have guys who are just not going to give up the line of scrimmage. And that's a huge part of being championship caliber uh, football. I'm going to talk, Barry, from a lens of what we need to do to be championship caliber. So for the listeners and people listening, I don't want you guys to to take my critiques or my recommendations from the lens of like last year, like, oh, this is what we need to do to be competitive. I'm going to talk about what needs to be done to um, to really accelerate into championship caliber and the D-line. We just don't have the... Uh, the NFL bona fide dude that's prepared today. Ford had some things I think with another year of health are going to really help. PJ is a guy with, I think he has the same type of progression RMT has. RMT is just getting healthy from the high ankle sprain. And then we got a ton of blue collar, just winning football seasonal seasoned D linemen that, I mean, you know, they really help fortify the defensive line and put us in a position. Dude, we should have had another goal line stand. We'll get to the backers in a sec, but like Ooh. that's D line first. If the D line gets pushed, it doesn't matter what kind of penetration your backers and your your safeties get. The D line is basically taking on that first wave, and they've consistently shown that they can. Yeah, and, and they're doing things, DMac. I, I highlighted this with um, I want to say last week it was it was Terry, where the, they're doing. NFL type stuff in terms of footwork and hands, you can see the coaching. Um, I wouldn't say pad level is great with every player, but pad level is more consistent. And at the goal line, you know, you know better than, than anyone having played the game, man. If your pad level is not good, you're going to lose, right? How yep. how often did we see a Grinch? I mean, you can watch a Grinch defense last night. Utah did the same thing, man. Those guys shoot off low, they play low, and because of that, they win a large chunk of the time at the line of scrimmage. If your pad level is too high, you're you're rarely going to win. And and guys are are doing really interesting footwork that they're they're doing great things with their hands. The, as you said, the genetic freak, if you will, at the line of scrimmage, that that NFL top 10 guy not quite there yet, you know, we, we think and hope that PJ will turn into that. You know, the OU obviously has guys coming in, but they're not quite there yet. At linebacker, don't know if OU has a guy like that there yet either. Stutzman, of course, he notches another 12 tackles, has a good game. I want to say Kanik was right around six. Did have a TFL. I want to say had at least one quarterback hurry. But felt like the run game again, DMAC, what was heavily, um, it, it cratered at times, and it felt a lot like that that was a backer issue. And that's why I want to get your take on this. Uh, just kind of eye in the sky what you saw. Uh, Stutzman felt felt like he played a solid game, 
and the goal line stand that you brought up, man, I'm just going to let you go into that. Give, give us your assessment on the backers, how you thought they played and where you thought they left some stuff out there on the field. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to loom a negative light too, too far on those guys. I think coach, I think BV's watched the same film that we've been critiquing because he did something that was very smart. Um, I think we, I don't even want to say, I think we know Canik plays well chasing the ball. Yeah, He does. And, and he finds, he finds himself in positions where he can go be a very big plus on defense. Go back and watch the game. I've heard rumors that people were like, he played well, and anyone who says anything negative is a hater. No, we've got good coaching this year. Our coach blitzed Canik, either a run blitz or just eliminated a gap. I would say 60% of the snaps, especially after the, the first big run. Go watch. They're they're either at the line of scrimmage, uh, and there were many times where they do those cross dogs through the a gap where and it worked right. It would be stunts showing that he's going to blitz pre snap. The quarterback will go on two and on one. Stunts would step up and then line would check 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 right, and they change the protection to that side, and then stunts would go and then Cannon would come free, or Cannon would go and then stunts would go free, or they'd go into that wide nine and the DN would go to a four or five technique. And then the, the backer is at that wide nine and it's either canic or it's stunts. I think that is phenomenal coaching by our DC and head coach uh, BV, because what he is doing is limiting the responsibilities that canic has to do post snap and just putting him in position to chase the ball. I, I, you know, on one side, of course, right. The, the, uh, you know, the the cynical me is saying, oh, but if you put Kip in, Kip's a natural back. He can be more versatile, right? But, uh, hey, man, we're in the season and we got to get the most out of what we got. Me is saying, damn, it feels good to have a coach who recognizes the strengths and learning curves of his players and believes Canik has what he needs, right, to be a threat or to be a, a focus, to the offense if he's going forward. I mean, go watch the second and third and fourth quarter. Canik is literally run fitting or run blitzing. It's like it's more than every other play. It was un yeah. it was it was it was it was just ridiculous for me to see like wow I couldn't believe it at first. So then I'm like, oh they're gonna take advantage of it. But think about it. Their offense is predicated on that mesh. And so when you've got guys muddying the A gap Right. And you've got a wide nine who's not giving the edge away literally on the play when Bothroy gets turned around. If Bothroy knows the end around is coming and he just protects the edge, the play is killed. It's just because he's tricked. He's lit. His back is to the, the pulling. I think it's the tight end pulling. It's the tight end pulling and they're running the end around. They tricked him. And you know what happens? And he's going to look, they're going to laugh at him on film. It's literally blatant for the world to see. And like they've got the TV camera, the above angle where you can see his back is looking the other direction and then running around him. But the point being is more often than not, our defense took, oh, they canceled the gaps that that offense likes to seduce and take advantage of. And he used one of our very best athletes uh, in those ways to do so. So I, I think coaching wise, that was very, very, very intelligent. Um, and I feel like it put Canik in positions to win. Now I got to speak to the goal line stand. That's the dumbest shit I've ever seen. And actually, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. 
Downs did it against Texas, and I called it. I said, bro, you can't. And every, by the way, memes, they, I saw them put it next to the D straight picture with Chris Sims. You know, there's one where D straight has his, his hands in a, in a fist, and you can tell he's kind of looking at Chris Sims like you, you, you know, a whole bunch of four-letter words. But that wasn't taunting. Uh, somebody took a picture and just happened to catch D straight in a moment, right, where that's what it looked like. Downs absolutely taunted uh, Ewers after a sack, and it should have been called. I firmly believe they didn't call it because we're both leaving the conference, and they're both saying kiss our ass. I'm talking about the conference. It's saying kiss our ass on the way out. I This is what I believe. I'm going to give you my tinfoil uh, conspiracy. And I believe because Downs got away with it at Texas, Canik felt like he could get away with it against UCF. And UCF mm-hmm. is a brand new uh, brother in the conference, and the conference is going to protect them. That was that. That is culture, and I'm sure if BV didn't address it last week because Downs kind of got away with it, I guarantee you he's going to address both now. Both of them are uncalled for. I don't like it. That's not the sooner way. Maybe Miami in the nineties or whatever. I don't know. Like that's not how, that's not how we win. We kick your ass, whistle, whistle, and maybe through the whistle. I'm cool with the through the whistle space, but like, we don't, we don't hot dog that, that way. We might smack you and go celebrate with our teammates. We might we might run you over and, and kind of flex and let everybody know that we big boyed you, but you don't stick your nose right. I mean, if did you see it when they did the replay? Oh, yeah, which, by the way, that was a real problem for, for a while. You remember Buki had a horrible issue with oh, doing that? 100%. Hundred percent. We, I mean, that's. I think that's culture. I, I think there's some of that culture still there with guys who, you know. And by the way, he wasn't even in on the play. He yeah. didn't do anything. He wasn't a reason why we got the stop. And so, hey man, I, I'm becoming a fan of the kid. You know, he's he's turning the corner in some aspects of the game. He's got a lot of growing to do, and I think this offseason would be the option for opportunity for him to do it with another season under his belt. Um, but that right there, it, it, it kills your team. And I, I felt like my opinion, he should have sat a quarter. I would have liked to see, uh, I saw McKenzie jump in and take his spot. Kip was already in because yeah. it was goal line. Um, but it, I would have liked to seen someone else get a chance because he, he hasn't earned the right to be the guy. He hasn't played well enough to not have a rotation in and, and it's not my call. But he's absolutely an area of the defense where I feel like, not that he needs to be benched, Barry, but there should be some rotation. I feel like in passing and certain passing downs, when you want to have a backer in there to to be a um, a threat and actual coverage, he's not your guy. I feel like in plays where you feel like there might be a gadget play coming or a third and medium or a second and medium where the, the team might do something, he's not your guy. He's often lost and still figuring things out. And so that's just my own opinion. If we want to be a championship caliber, what can McKenzie bring to the table? Okay, he's not a great athlete. Well, Kip Lewis is a 4-4 guy, and he's got the instincts of a backer, and he's shown to be physical. Did you see how Kip handled that, that trick play they ran on the kickoff? Oh, man. Yeah. Did you see our pre-snap alignment, which is why they might have done it? So we've got five guys on one side of the kicker, and then we've got the other. Let's see. It's the kicker. Five. So that's six, seven, eight, nine. Then there's three additional guys on the same side of the hash, and then it's just Kip and one other dude on the entire third of the field. 
So you can tell UCF uh, schemes that. By the way, dope scheme, right? That's a smart scheme. Hey, man, if we can suck everybody up on the on the near sideline and then throw it across, there's only two dudes on that third of the field. Well, Kip calls yeah. ass. He keeps his outside shoulder free, crosses the guy's face, and makes the tackle. That's backer text textbook one on one. Like that play kind of you know shows you like holy shit, this guy understands angles. He understands canceling gaps, huge gaps by the way. Man, so if you if you ask me, I th- by the same thing with Dayson. I, I, it's easy to pick up what our tendencies now are. They sign plays when he can go forward. When they expect somebody to be in coverage, Adobe goes in. Did you recognize that? 100%. It's pretty textbook 100%. now. Like it's pretty yeah, easy to that's see. That's their yeah, package. That's the package. If there's something going forward where he can go around and be a wrecking ball, they signs in. The moment there's the need for there to be some type of, you know, uh, potential pass or sink or going to coverage, Dolby's in. Dolby's much better. I feel like Kip is in that. I mean, Kip is in that same space with Canick. I think he can help in those capacities if Coach Venables is saying he's not big enough to handle the responsibilities of the run game. I I can I can agree with that. But I would still say Kip could help you more in just being an instinctual player. Backers played relative to our opponent. They played they played well. Coach put them in specific positions to to cancel out gaps and to chase and be in positions to, you know, just go out there and be physical. Anik is 100% responsible for their first run. The DN2, I think it's Stripling, by the way. Is 33 Stripling? Yeah, or it was 33. 33. Yeah, 33 yeah. gets uh, too far down inside. He's too far upfield. And Kanik literally runs into the, I don't know what he's thinking. Like, hey, man, you see where the gap's going to be. And the guard is basically shoulder to shoulder with the, or the tackles guard. Which is funny because Stutz is playing it perfect on the other yep. side. Yep. 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 Puppy though, right? I can't like beat him up about it. It's just the yeah. nuances of the game. Uh hopefully he'll learn from it. He's gonna get the snaps, so he's he'll better he better learn from it. I, I Stutz played a great game. Stutz may run through. Stutz, like you said, he's reading and reacting well. Stutz also was not asked to cover a ton. Stutz also was doing a bunch of run blitzes, which again, I think it's pretty smart because we're in that nickel coverage, right? We've got five DBs on the field um, and we wanted to cancel gaps with their mesh concept that Malzahn's been using for years and and killing Alabama and everybody with since he was at Auburn. Yeah, it, it's um, it's one of those things where I think with Kip there, I don't want to say protecting him a little bit, but man, if you were to get enough film on him with how they like to use him in packages, I think teams would just do some stuff to to get a guard on him as soon as possible, kind of in a phone booth and and, and try to really use his size against him on kind of your, your main first and second down type deal. And, and Kanek, I think, just simply plays because he's a bigger guy. Like in the goal line, he triggers so well that the guard doesn't have time to get up there. But but if you're playing with, you know, and, and everything happens so much faster. Um, but if you're playing between the 20s, that's got to be their justification for for why Kanik is playing a lot more, uh, getting a lot more snaps, because there's still some things he does, man, where he's he's in position similar to Stutz. But man, so much matters about where your hips are, where your shoulders are, wh- where your head is, wh- which way you're looking. And, and Stutzman has gotten so good 
at, at just being patient and then reacting. Be patient and then react. Don't overcomplicate the play. And Kanick is still moving 100 miles an hour at times, and because of that, teams use it against them. It's why it was so easy to run the ball against Oklahoma in, in the previous years because if you just went where the guys were not slanting or you went where the linebackers were not – it was K-State used it a ton. They just basically guessed which way OU was slanting, which way their hips were going to be, and they just went the other direction. And on the play – the running back reads Canick's hips. If you watch, yep. as soon as Canick gets those hips inside, as soon as he commits, that, that running back takes that guard's outside shoulder, and then he's gone upfield. He he reads it. He Those guys know. They, they wait to see. And you can probably tell me as a receiver, you're watching the guy's hips, you're watching his shoulders. As soon as he gets leaning one way or the other, D-Mac, that's the way you go. It's very, very simple. Uh, so moving uh, on to the second. Yo, go, go ahead. A prime example of that, just to kind of interject, is Anderson's touchdown. They showed it again on the TV view. He's one-on-one with the corner. By the way, the play before it, the corner locks his ass up. But I love the fact that Anderson used that as a rep because the next play he scores a TD. Exactly what you're saying. Uh, he had to run the slant, the corner. You remember that? He runs a slant, the corner's on his hip. And, and Oh, I think that's where the guy almost tries to grab him. Yeah, but the second yeah. play or the next play, we run the fade, and you can yeah. see he used that previous play as a rep, and once the corner's hips turned inside, he runs right by him, and he scores his touchdown. So just, just to interject on what you're talking about with the hips, that's exactly how Anderson scores his first TD. Yeah, and, and I want to talk about, uh, speaking of their secondary, uh, going on to OU, there were uh, definitely some position or personnel changes as the game waned on. Key Lawrence got the start. Saw Reggie Pearson Jr. come in there a little bit later, um, I, I think, to assist in some of the run game. Uh, corners in this one, D-Mac, had, uh, had a few errors. It felt like Gentry got beat a few times. Uh, Woody had the uh, – he just got, got, got caught peeking in the backfield on the, on the Plumley throw. That was a large chunk of the yardage, by the way, for, uh, for UCF in that game. And that was just one of those things that happens where you just get caught flat-footed, quarterback sees the guy, he just has to lob it out there, uh, commit a good throw. But that being said, against a group that I thought, outside of Texas, probably the most physical and talented bunch at receiver that OU will see this year, um, I, I think Baker and Townsend are both probably fringe NFL players. Um, and, and Baker might even be a little bit better than that. Both of those guys can play. Um, Plumley as a quarterback, is going to certainly get a sniff in the NFL. So it was definitely a good matchup for the Sooners in terms of, of talent on talent. Gentry got beat a few times. Uh, you saw Vickers out there struggle a little bit in the run game. And it was one of those deals where you um you leave the game, DMAC, not necessarily saying that, oh, you played a bad game defensively, right? When you look at it, you would say there, there's technical things that each player still needs to dial in, and, and you can see exactly where the error is coming from. It wasn't so much that, that busts were just happening all over the field. It, it's just a lapse in technique, right? Um, MC was actually, uh, Mark Clayton actually commented on a post that I had on um on Twitter where, where Vickers is on the edge and he lets himself get blocked by a tackle. Right. And I think Corey Ivy even chimed in and said, man, you just can't let that happen. 
as a cornerback, you got to sidestep and, and try to catch that guy flat footed and just get in there. And then Mark Clayton also said, once he's got your hands on you, you're not going to get right. the holding call unless you try to rip, rip through and get away. Right. If you try to make a play on the ball and he's still got Jersey, that's when you're going to get the holding call. Cause it looked like they were holding all game, but the corners weren't doing anything to force the call. So secondary as a whole, there were a few bad angles taken out there. There were a couple missed tackles, but those really weren't so bad. How would you grade the secondary, DMAC? So before I go into grades, I want to talk about what happens when you make a philosophical shift. When coach says, hey, we're going to run blitz uh, up the A-gap or off the edge with our backers, that puts more responsibility on the DBs, right? And so, again, you see a lot of rotations between Desan and Col- and Doby going in. Uh, you, Like you said, you see, you know, rotating the safeties in and out. Those responsibilities have to be covered up by somebody, especially when we're playing a tennis zone. We're, I'm going to talk about the, the, the big play that they score for the 89 yards or 84 yards, whatever it was, here in a sec. But first, I just want to talk about, like, when you're saying both of my backers, are going to help eliminate gaps at the line of scrimmage so we can really, you know, attack the run game now. And we're going to bring the attack to them. I think, again, I think it's genius. I like it because it's the strengths of the backers. And it, it's a it's a tool that you can use against that style of offense. You just cancel all the gaps and there's really nowhere for the running back to go or the quarterback to go. I think that's why we had success in the run game outside of the few plays that they pop. Okay, but when you do that, the counter is action off of that, and that means safeties and or nickels have to cover up those responsibilities, right? And so that's why we see our secondary sometimes in compromising situations because they're having to cover more area versus having backers that can sink and and cover the uh, cover the curl, cover the seam. Right now, your your corners can fit tighter and and really hawk. Your safeties can hawk and your and your corners can be tight. I think that's why we didn't have a ton of opportunities for turnovers. That's just my own assessment. Now, talking about the play, uh, Gentry gave up. Gentry had a lot of air on some of those routes. Uh, like you said, uh, Woody has no reason for that pass interference, huge pass interference. He's already pushed a guy to the sideline. He's running with him perfectly. There's no reason to extend the arm and even give the ref the, the opportunity to call. I forgot the flag. about that PI call. I forgot about yeah. that. The guy is a half yard out of bounds already. He doesn't need to do it. He's smarter than that. A guy been in the program five years, uh, but whatever, right? It happens uh, for me. And, and, and I, as big a fan of him that I am, and by the way, he comes up and makes some monster tackles in the run game. But Billy, his eyes are not, uh, he doesn't have good eyes as a center fielder. He hasn't had consistently good eyes. There are plays. That touchdown is a pick that they have in the um, at, at in the red zone where they're running the crossing routes with the outside receivers where they just run across from each other. They meet at the at the front of the end zone and they're running the opposite direction. By the way, you see it on film. He sees it. He sees it three steps before it crosses his face. And I think he sees the one coming his way as well. And he's thinking to himself, how do I get to the spot? But he doesn't move. If you watch it in slow motion, fast motion, whatever motion, he literally allows the receiver to cross his face before he starts to run with it. That's 100% his play. 
that's 1,000% his play. And when they first scored, I was like, how did that happen? And they showed the replay. I said, oh, got it. They ran the double under where they cross and run towards the back pylon. And he literally is like his feet are in sand versus he should have just cheated. He should have just cheated. Yeah, and went I, I, I want to ask it. on that DMAC. So technically, as a DB, and correct me if I'm wrong, he's you leave the middle a little bit to not let that receiver get outside of you. Right. Is that the way you're supposed to play that? So there's rules, right? Goal lines, there's rules. First, if there's man, it's man on, right? If it's man, it's man. You don't give them the inside. So here's how it generally works. If you're playing man in the red zone, especially goal line, you don't give up inside because it's an easy throw, which is why you see most teams try to try to throw the goal line fade, right? If it's zone, you take the first crosser going to your side of the zone, right? So he's the safety in the end zone. And I think the back the I think the backside corner is like the other safety type on that plan. I don't I don't I don't remember what 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 coverage room, but I know we're in zone because he's not taking a man pre-snap. So he doesn't have a man. So I know they're in zone. Same thing the quarterback reads, right? The quarterback sees Billy is pretty even with him. When he hikes the ball, the guy running the cross going out of out of Billy's zone, there's a corner carrying him. So that corner is a man. I don't know who it is for us, but but once you see that, the quarterback sees that Billy isn't running with somebody, which means Billy is in zone. So that's how I know Billy's in zone. The crosser coming into his zone, you can see when they show the second angle, Billy sees it. He totally sees it. He just doesn't cheat to get to the area where the receiver is supposed to go, which is where he catches the ball. Billy could just cheat to that area because the quarterback can't throw it to where the receiver is. He has to throw it to where the receiver is going. And Billy sees it. I don't know why. I honestly don't know, Barry, why he doesn't cheat to the area now if the if the if the if the receiver curls up which could be right an option that the receiver has then that's something we got to just tip our hat to because at least we should take away what they want to do first and he doesn't do it i don't know why um they run an in cut similar to when iowa state runs the in cut billy's running to where the ball is going versus running to the receiver running in his zone you let the player take you to the football you don't chase the football because if the player catches it in front of you you're out of the play and it's happened to him three or four times it's uncharacteristic of a kid who i believe is so smart like he 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 will on top of that, do some amazing things. I think it's eyes. I think it's reps. I don't think he's ready for the NFL. Hopefully he doesn't think he's ready for the NFL, regardless of how well we play. Um, unless he's going to run a four three and jump a 39 inch vert, his film is just kind of like a fourth, fifth, sixth round guy. Um, in my opinion, who has the potential to be a first or second rounder if he cleans things up next year. So just based on what I see now, like Billy is a guy who, if I was an opposing offensive coordinator, I'd try to pick on, I'd run double post at him and see what he does. I'd run a, 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 a uh, I'd let me tell you what I think would work on Billy. I'd run two straight up the seam and one on an in cut 18 yards and see if Billy just jumps the in cut and throw the seam. Like his eyes, he's not really fundamentally doing what he's supposed to do. Safety's supposed to take the deepest threat, which is to take the seam route and the backer or whoever is in the whole area should sink to get the end cut. But Billy just seems like he's not necessarily always following his rules. 
and there's very there's very universally known rules on the goal line. Man, take away the inside. Zone first person who crosses face in your zone. By the way, if they run levels in the in the in the red zone or goal line, you take away the front pylon. You don't take away the deep pylon. It's why most teams throw the deep pylon because it's a harder throw and they score just as much if they catch it at the front of the end zone as they catch it at the back of the end zone. It's a longer throw is what the defense wants to force, right? It's not very difficult. Billy has to take that crosser. You see, he tried to get there late and you can kind of see he's mad at himself because he knows it's his guy. He had every opportunity to cheat and just jump over the first cross and get to the spot where the quarterback wants to throw the ball. Um, he just chooses not to. So not to belabor him because he has some great plays in the run game. He comes up and and bananas and kills a couple plays in the flats. Um, he's pretty physical in some other plays. He has that great play where the guy, the guy jumps early and he almost one hands an interception where he's playing on top of, I think they're kind of running like an outcut or or a, a corner route kind of concept. Uh, but he, he has those and it's been pretty consistent. It's like every other game, there's a play or two where it's like, damn, Billy, that's fundamentals. What are you doing? Um, and, and it just means here's, here's, I said all that. That's a sentence to say, but here's what I know. The coaches trust the DBs the most because they put the most responsibilities on the DBs. When your backers are running, when your backers are pre-snap canceling gaps and you're saying, okay, right, we're going to cancel these gaps and we're going to win and we're going to force the quarterback to throw under direct DBs, you guys got to cover all this space. It tells you the amount of confidence that the defensive scheme um, and the coaches have in the in the secondary. So I think that needs to be spoke to as well. You don't do that if you've got a, you know, the, the DBs we've had the last two seasons. Want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Barry and Mac show today. Me and D-Mac went a little long on this one, so breaking it up into two parts. The second part where we dive deep into the offense is going to be available right now. So as soon as you're done listening to this, hop right over there on the Barry and Mac show feed. Give it a listen. Just didn't want to go the full two hours on this one uh this one here today but make sure to go check out the twitter at barry and mac shw dmac is at d underscore mac 13 and you can find me at dy's fitness at letter b w i s e fitness and as always sooners360.com go check it out thank you so much and we'll see you soon